reading this morning is from John chapter 10, verses 1 to 18 and 27 to 30. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know his voice. This figure of speech Jesus uses, used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a higher hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. But one takes it from me, but no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. In verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand and I, am the, and I, and I and the father are one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, David. Um, so we have a few weeks before our, our Advent series begins, which is hard to believe. I know Christmas is nearly upon us. Um, but we have uh, kind of a, a unique situation. It doesn't usually happen in Village here. Where we have these three weeks, which uh, come in our sort of schedule for the year. Um, and there are three weeks we hadn't really planned anything out. Um, time that we have... Uh, I suppose just been given by God to do something appropriate, timely for us as a church. And I know John said last week as he finished off um, that I was going to be preaching this morning on something to do with mission um, and evangelism. And I am going to do that, not this morning, but next week. Um, to be honest with you, I, uh, I felt like I was not really landing on what I wanted to do. And so um, I thought rather than rush it, I'm going to take this week 
to kind of prepare that better um, and be able to come next week um, with something to speak on that, on mission and evangelism, because it is a really significant time coming up to Christmas, especially whenever um, we have the opportunity to go to many people and to speak to many people and to spend time with lots of people and the opportunity to open our doors as well for people to come in. Uh, and so we want to use that wisely and we want to think and pray about that um, really carefully. So we're going to do that next week. But this morning, um, I was thinking about what kind of more like a, a one-off sermon like this is like and what it, what it might feel like. Um, Think of it like this, you know when you sometimes go to a fancy restaurant, I rarely go to fancy restaurants, but if I ever do, the couple of times that I have, there's maybe a time between courses where you get like, you know like a, a palate cleanser, like a, some kind of sorbet or something that comes out and it's, it's brought to the table and it's kind of unexpected. You're like, oh, I, wasn't exp- I didn't order this, I wasn't expecting this, but you have it and it, it was nice. It's actually nice, it was quite refreshing um, and quite good. Um, that's what I hope this morning is. Um, because it is kind of unexpected. We don't get these one-off sermons that often. Uh, we don't get to preach on, on passages like this uh, in John chapter 10, where we just sort of randomly, it feels, come to it. Um, but I, I hope that, as unexpected it is, that it is really quite refreshing and nice for us as a church, having come out of 1 Timothy, um, and as we look ahead to, uh, to our Advent series as well. Um, maybe that that analogy doesn't land with you at all. You're just like, what are you talking about? But um, anyway, why don't I just pray again, uh, and then we'll get started in John chapter 10. Lord, um, thank you for your word. Thank you that, that your word is, is active and living, that it's breathed out by you, that it, all of it, Lord, uh, is profitable for us. Um, all of it um, reveals yourself to us uh, and shows us how we can be saved and experience life in you. And Lord, I pray as we come to John 10 this morning that um, for all of us in the room, this passage, as we study it and as we ponder it, Lord, will be just what I've described, refreshing, that it'll be a good reminder for us, Lord, if we are believers. And if we're not, Lord, I pray that it'll be an opportunity for us to see you and what you offer to us, um, maybe for the first time, maybe uh, again in our lives, Lord, and that we would see that, that what you offer uh, is something so much better than anything else this life, and the rest of this life does. So Lord, I pray that we would come to you in that, all of us, uh, that we would believe in you and trust in you to find life. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What makes a, a Christian live confidently in this world? What makes a, a Christian live confidently in this world? I'm not talking about having a, a confident kind of persona or personality, being a person who you know, walks into a room and, and knows how to take charge of things, is assertive, confident in that way. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm thinking more about what the Old Testament saints used to talk about. So often in the Psalms, we, we see them come before God and ask him to grant them confidence, assurance in this life. In the midst of the struggles and stresses of living in this world, a fallen world, They ask God time and time again to put a rock under their feet, something solid, something immovable that they can stand on, that they can build their lives upon. They pray and they they ask God in their songs that he would secure their footsteps even before they've taken the first one. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he echoes some of these kind of themes as well. When he told the church at Corinth, this is what I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you that you would be strong 
and immovable, letting nothing move you. And in John chapter 10 this morning, I think that Jesus is offering his disciples a gift. He's offering them a gift that helps to answer that question of what it is that makes Christians live confidently in this world, assuredly, immovably, in the midst of a shaky world. John 10, Jesus gives his disciples truths to ground us, truths that that offer to hold our feet steady as we go through different things in our lives. That's what Jesus is doing here. And so all I'm going to do for us this morning is give us three truths, three simple truths that, that Jesus wants us to take and hold and carry with us through life, life to make us confident as Christians living in this world. And here's the first truth that Jesus gives to his disciples. It's that he will take care of me. Jesus takes care of me. So this familiar passage uh, that The picture that Jesus is painting here is of a shepherd and sheep, and it's one that would have been really familiar to his audience as they were listening. They knew this world. They would have known actual shepherds by name. They knew what the the kind of idea of having sheep on a hillside looked like. I've Googled a picture um, because I was aware that some people living in Inner East Belfast might not know what sheep on a hillside actually looks like, but me from Ballymena, I know um, I've seen this, probably not this kind of scene as barren um, and as, as brown as that. It's usually more lush and green. But um, this is what Jesus is portraying here. This is the picture. Um, and the audience, the people here, would have been very familiar with this pastoral scene. Um, because ancient biblical history is just immersed in the image of, of a shepherd and sheep, of God being our shepherd and of we being his sheep. Jacob, the the great patriarch uh, of uh, God's people, he talked uh, about this centuries before, uh, before Jesus arrived in the scene. And when we meet King David in the Old Testament, he's actually pulled off a field. He's a a shepherd boy, and he's made the king of Israel. And he writes a song, and it's a song that many of us to this day might say is, is our favorite of the Psalms. It starts with these words, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. It's a beautiful psalm that tells what God is like as our shepherd and what he does for us as his sheep. Now, if you know anything about sheep, you'll know that that being called sheep, it isn't really a very flattering thing. Uh, It's not really uh, great for us to be the sheep in this picture not massively complimentary. Jane and I have been watching um, Planet Earth 3. I don't know if anybody else has been seeing it. It's fascinating. But I was thinking, I was watching it, and I was thinking of this passage. You don't find David Attenborough narrating about sheep very often, do you? It's, it's never kind of a feature in one of those, uh, those pieces, having sheep. Not many kids in the playground as well who run around, uh, and when they ask that question of which animal would you like to be, sheep don't come up very often, if ever, um, because sheep don't have many great qualities, not many things that kind of stand out, that, that you, a reason for you to pick them as your animal in the animal kingdom. They don't have claws, they don't have wings, they don't have teeth that can tear into things uh, other than hay and grass. They don't have any of the great stuff. They get scared very easily, 
They're not known for being intelligent animals. They often wander off and, and can't find their way back home again, even though home is a, a massive field. Uh, they can't hunt for food for themselves. They can't protect themselves against predators. Sheep don't have many standout qualities. In fact, I, I grew up on a farm with sheep. We have about 250, 300 sheep, my dad. And, and so I have a lot of knowledge of sheep and what they're like. Um, and something that came to my mind when I thought about just the helplessness of sheep was this thing. You might not have heard of it before. It's called when a sheep is cast, a cast sheep. Now, what that's talking about is um, whenever a sheep with a big heavy or long fleece, it lies down in the ground and kind of a hollow in the ground. Um, it rolls over on its side sometimes to stretch or to relax, and suddenly the sheep, it's lost its center of gravity, uh, and it, it can't right itself anymore. So it's just lying there with its legs in the air, kind of pawing in the air, because it can't get itself out of this position. It's stuck, um, completely immobilized. And you know, as it kind of paws more and more in the air, the, the hollow actually gets deeper and deeper, and its wool sort of flattens out, and so it's, it's, it's done. Really, this sheep, um, having done nothing at all, having just tried to relax, has got itself in a life-threatening position. Um, and you get the picture, don't you? Sheep are, are kind of helpless animals. They don't have many great features and qualities. And the Bible's primary picture of helplessness is that of a sheep without a shepherd. The Gospel of Mark, it, it tells of how Jesus would come and he'd be working miracles in the whole town. All the people would be coming out to him, and he'd be laying hands on them, and he'd be healing them all day long. And in Mark's gospel, it records at one time Jesus looking out on this great crowd of people who come to him. And it says he has compassion on them, for he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. He looked on these people, and he saw their great need. They were harassed helpless, lost sheep without him. And you maybe noticed as, as we read John 10, as David read it there for us, but there's a bit of a, a controversial tone, uh, or a confrontational, sorry, sorry, tone, a confrontational tone to Jesus in John 10. Why is that? Well, it's because of who is standing in front of him. It's because of who is listening to him. The religious leaders of the day they are there before him. And they were supposed to be the spiritual shepherds of God's people. But instead of caring for the sheep and tending the sheep and feeding the sheep, Jesus says they are just looking out for themselves. They don't care about the sheep. They've neglected them. Worse than that, they've burdened them, actually. Jesus says elsewhere to them, these religious leaders, they have stacked burdens on the people and they don't lift a finger to help them. They actually enjoy seeing the people fail. Because as long as the people keep on sinning, as long as the, the sheep stay lost, then these guys will stay in a job. They know the people will continue to come back to them for help, uh, for wisdom. But all they're doing is just piling more and more burdens on the people. Guilt and shame. And Jesus steps in in John chapter 10 and he says to them, enough. This is done now. Everybody is going to know who you are and who I am by the time I'm finished speaking. And so Jesus, he, he draws up this kind of play, a little Bible skit. And in this skit, he gives out four roles in this passage. There's the role of the sheep. 
There's the role of the wolves. There's the role of the false teachers that he's called the hired hands. And then there's the role of the good shepherd. And you can imagine the religious leaders, they're standing by and they hear him talk about these different roles and they're all putting their hands up for the good shepherds. That's what they think that they are. That's what they want to be called. But actually Jesus says, no, I have you in mind for the thieves and the robbers in verse one. I've already cast you in that role because that fits with what you've been doing for the people already. And the people would have known the backstory in all this. They would have known that what Jesus was saying here had a real sting in the tail because they would have been well-versed in the Old Testament just as Jesus was. And they would have been thinking of the prophecy that God had spoken through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 34. And in that chapter, God is rebuking Israel's shepherds. It's a really dark period uh, for God's people. Um, And God says the leaders of the people, it's actually their fault that the people are in such a sad and desperate situation in life. Here's what God says. It's on the screen. Ah, shepherds of Israel, you've been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And he goes on to say this. He says, what you have failed to do, Israel's leaders, I will do it myself. I'll search for my flock, God says. I'll rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered. I'll bring them out from all peoples and gather them together. I will tend my flock and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord. And doesn't knowing all this, this backstory, put a different complexion on Jesus' words here in John chapter 10? Because now Jesus comes in and he proclaims that he is the one who fulfills this prophecy made many centuries before by God through the prophet Ezekiel. He says, enough, enough shepherds of Israel. The job you have been doing is not the job that God called you to, but I, I have come and I will do that job myself. I will tend my sheep. I will care for my sheep. See what Jesus is doing here in John 10? He's driving off the wolves to care for his sheep. He comes in filled with the Spirit of God. He's righteously indignant. He's fed up with these religious leaders. And he puts himself between the sheep and the false shepherds. And he says, your ministry of affliction is over. These people, these sheep, they are coming with me now. I'm calling my sheep by name and they're going to hear me. And they're going to follow me because I am their shepherd. And I'm going to lead them into life, life as it's meant to be, life as God intended them to live, a grace-filled life, a forgiven life, an unburdened life. Jesus is using his shepherd's voice all over John chapter 10. I don't know if you've ever heard it, a shepherd out in the field. If you're walking past a field, um, you, you maybe could hear them from miles away bellowing out to their sheep. Usually it's a, a, a dog maybe that's running around and gathering up the sheep and they're bellowing out to the dog to instruct the dog where to come. Jesus is using that kind of a voice here, a strong, 
authoritative, no messing kind of voice. And what do we hear him say? Not just to the, the people here in John chapter 10, but to us here this morning. If you're someone who is carrying the burden of guilt and shame in your life, burdened by your sin, Jesus says to this day to people like that, you want life? Come with me. Follow me. I have life, and I have it in abundance. If you want in on life, if you want to experience life as it's meant to be, then follow me. That's the promise of the gospel. And you know, if you're a Christian this morning, you've experienced that life. You're living in that life. If you're someone who's yet to trust in Jesus, maybe you haven't experienced that life, but do you know, here's one thing that, that Jesus offers that nothing else in this world can. A promise that Jesus, the good shepherd, offers to his sheep that nothing else in this world will offer to us. It's that Jesus will be faithful to his word forever. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, and every day thereafter, he will always care for you. His grace will always be sufficient for you. And you know, when the storms come and break in in your life, which they will, and you feel like you're in darkness, and the trials come and they shake you to your core, you know, Jesus, your shepherd, is still going to be faithful to you. And once that storm has blown over and you find yourself standing, not because of your greatness or because of your strength or your greatness, no, you're going to find yourself standing in that moment because Jesus, your shepherd, has made you stand. He has been with you, he has cared for you, and he has held your feet steady through the storm. And you know, on the other side of that, that's when you're going to praise him. Thank him for his care for you. That's truth from his word. He's going to be faithful yesterday, today, and forever. He's going to put a rock beneath your feet, a new song in your mouth, something like the words of Psalm 46. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, we have a God who is our fortress and strength. A God who is a very present help in times of trouble. I love Jesus' words here in John chapter 10. They're some of my most favorite words in the whole Bible because, you know, for years of my life, I tried so hard to be holy in my own strength, to be right with God myself. And I knew time and time again what it was like to fall short in that and to constantly battle those nagging feelings of have I, have I done enough for God? Have I earned God's favor? Am I right with him, really right with him? And I would just be exhausted and worn down trying to find assurance of my salvation in myself, in the things that I was doing. I was burdened. I was beaten down. I was not a happy Christian. But praise God that this passage, among others, it came to my rescue because John 10, it, it kind of clicked its fingers at me and said, listen to your shepherd. Listen to his voice as he drives off the wolves of performance-driven, try-harder Christianity. That's not the life that God calls us to. Jesus says, if you want life, life in all of its abundance, all you need to do is come to me. 
believe in me, trust in me, I will lead you. I care for you. Listen to his voice this morning, full of grace, because he is the gateway to life, the doorway into experience in life and life in all of its fullness. Jesus stands in John chapter 10, arms extended, and here's what he's saying, everybody who wants life, come to me, follow me, trust in me. Christian confidence is rooted in that truth. Number one, Jesus takes care of me. And number two, Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me. There's a, a big theological word that comes up in the, the theological glossary. It's called substitutionary atonement. Maybe heard of it. And I'm not saying that to kind of be, uh, you know, a theological nerd or anything like that. It's because this passage, it, it's got substitutionary atonement all over it. What is substitutionary atonement. Well, see how Jesus is talking in this passage so much about what he has come to do and what he's come to accomplish on the cross. You can see that kind of language in verse 17. I lay down my life. So he's talking about the cross. Verse 15. I lay down my life for the sheep. For is an important word. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Those are all references to Jesus' death, the sacrificial, substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross when he atones for our sin. There's this glorious little word in the New Testament which features loads and loads of times. Um, It's the Greek word, huper, and it's translated into the English word for, or in behalf of. And huper is the word he's using here, Jesus, He says, I lay down my life for or in behalf of the sheep for their sake. This is substitutionary atonement. And why do we need that? Well, it's because we ourselves deserve to die. Because we have sinned against the holy God. We have failed to live up to his standard of righteousness. And there is no way for us to make things right on our own. There's no list of rights that can cancel out our wrongs. We cannot pay the debt which we owe to God. Isaiah 53 is a passage that lays bare the reality of how far we've gone astray from God. Isaiah says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And what does God do with the sin of those wayward sheep? What's he to do with them? Because his holiness demands justice. Sin must be paid for with the penalty of death. The Bible says that time and time again. So who's going to die? Who's going to pay the penalty for sins? Well, the next line gives the answer. Because the Lord has laid on him, that's Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. That's substitutionary atonement. He, God the Father, lays on him God the Son, the sins of the sheep. My sins on Jesus. Martin Luther, he called it the great exchange where we swap places, Jesus and I. He dies on the cross, taking my sin on himself, and I get the life of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Jesus Christ myself, even though I don't deserve it. That's the glory of the gospel. What does it mean? Well, it means two things. 
It means we had failed so deeply that Jesus had to die for us. We failed so deeply that Jesus had to die. There was no other way. Our sin necessitated the cross. If God wanted to save his sheep, then Jesus, the shepherd, had to die in their place. We failed so deeply that he had to die for us. But secondly, wonderfully, Jesus loved us so deeply that he was willing to die for us. He was glad to die for us. Hebrews 12 says that Jesus despised the shame and endured the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him. Jesus voluntarily went to the cross. It was the plan all along. He didn't come to this earth under false pretenses. He knew what he was coming for. He knew what the mission was. And he told his disciples all along. He said, I'm here for this purpose, to die. And they didn't believe him, but he kept saying it over and over again. The Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He told them in advance, and he says it here in John 10, verse 18. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus is saying, I'm going to die, and I'm going to die for you. I'm going to die because I want to save you. I'm going to die because I love you. And this is where that little word, huper, that Greek word, in behalf of, it's where it has so much power and meaning for those here in Jesus Christ. It gives us so much assurance and confidence. Because it means that if we are trusting in Jesus Christ, then our assurance of God's love and affection and grace is not determined by us, by our performance, by what we do. It is determined by Jesus Christ and what he has already done. His performance on our behalf. One of my favorite hymns, it's called... My faith has found a resting place. It's a beautiful hymn, and it talks about this reality of substitutionary atonement, Jesus swapping places with us, and what we get because of what he has done. It says this, Enough for me that Jesus saves. This ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul, I come to him. He'll never cast me out. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Do you believe the good news of the gospel? Do you really believe it? Some of us as, as followers of Jesus, because we live in a fallen world, we're, we're going through trials and hardships and difficulties in life at the moment. And you know, it's easy to doubt simple truths like this, that Jesus takes care of me, that Jesus loves me enough to die for me. But it's truth, truth that we can hold to, truth that keeps us in the storm. And you know, for others of us in the room, a trial that we can be plagued with and that we can go through for so much of our life, uh, our life it is the trial of doubt. Doubt in our assurance. Doubt deep in our soul. We, we wonder whether we are good enough, whether we are worthy enough for God. And often, it's at those times whenever Satan, who, who the Bible calls the accuser, he comes along in those times, and, and he sees it as just the, the br most brilliant opportunity 
to start driving a greater wedge between you and God. He says things like, you know, look at your life. You're a mess. You're all over the place. Why would God accept someone like you? And this will be the hardest part of the trial. He's going to be right. He's going to be right that that you are a mess, that your life is all over the place. But you know, in those moments, John 10 is something that Jesus gives to us to hold on to, a rock to put in our pockets for when those times actually come. Because this is the promise he gives, that yes, we, we were so broken and so failed that, that Jesus, he had to die for us, but that Jesus loves us so much that he was willing to die for us. He knew what he was getting into. It's Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still a wreck, a mess, broken, Jesus Christ died for us. That's how much he loves us. That's the glory of the gospel. John Calvin, he's a famous theologian, and he was writing to a friend who was going through one of these kind of dark nights of the soul, a time of of real trial where he was doubting everything, doubting God's love for him, facing all these doubts in his faith, uh, because he felt he he was never good enough. His sin made him feel unworthy. And John Calvin, he wrote these words to him. So when the devil throws your sins in your face, and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit I deserve death and hell, but what of it? For I know the one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. How good is that? We feel so deeply that Jesus had to die for us, but he loved us so deeply that he was willing to die for us. That's the incredible truth of the gospel. And I asked a wee while ago, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because if you do, it will change your life. It doesn't take away the hard stuff that we experience. We live in a fallen world. We're all still have sin that sticks so closely or clings so closely in our lives. We feel the effects of sin in this world as well. It doesn't change that reality, but it does change us as we live our lives amidst all those things. It'll change the peace, the assurance, confidence that you feel as you go through all these ups and downs in life. So let me ask you again, have you taken hold of that truth? You can do this morning. You can hear the good shepherd calling out your name as one of his sheep. I love how in this passage, how personal Jesus gets. It's not just that he he died for the sins of the world, which he did, but that he died for the sins of his sheep. He calls his sheep by name. He knows each of their name. And you can find forgiveness and salvation this morning through the cross. You can turn from whatever it is that you're trusting in in life that you think will give you life, the life you long for. Let me tell you, it won't, but Jesus Christ, he will. Come to him He's the good shepherd, and he offers life and life in all, abun- in all abundance to whoever believes in him. Jesus takes care of me. Jesus died for me. And thirdly and finally, Jesus will never let me go. Jesus will never let go of me. 
I think one of my favorite things about this passage is the authority in the shepherd's voice. Jesus is in charge here. And Jesus is saying, when I speak, when I say the word, all of my sheep will come to me. There's no ifs about it. I'll call them by name and they will follow me. He's not asking. When he calls, they come. Such is his authority. And next week, we're going to think about mission and evangelism. And I was thinking about why we as God's people, why we engage in mission and evangelism here in in East Belfast in our lives, why we we do it across different places in the world, in places even that are really difficult to reach with the gospel. Why do we continue to engage in mission and evangelism whenever it's hard? Why do we not give up hope? Because in John chapter 10, Jesus doesn't say there might be one flock. There might be one shepherd. Hope that, that someday in the future there is. I, I can't be sure of it though. I'm intending for there to be. But you know how things are. Things can change, can't they? No. He's not using if language. He's using definitive, sovereign language. Verse 27, my sheep will hear my voice and they will follow me. I will give them eternal life, verse 28, and they will never perish. And no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is in charge, make no mistake about it. He is the Lord of life. And when he calls out for his sheep to come through us, through our faithful witness in this world, through our words to others in this world, he promises that his word will always accomplish what it sets out to do that it will never fail. He always gets the response he's after. So thinking of Jesus' sovereignty and salvation, his sovereignty in evangelism and mission, it doesn't nullify our evangelistic efforts. It doesn't stop us because, you know, well, well, Jesus, if he's going to save people, he's going to save them. No, it actually sends us out, trusting him even more because there are sheep all around us who Jesus is calling to himself. And we don't know who they are, but he does. And so he calls us as his sheep to go to the places that we work, to the families and the friendship groups that we're in, to the streets around this church building. There are sheep everywhere who are lost without the shepherd, harassed and helpless because of sin in their lives and the sin in this world. And Jesus is calling. He's calling out to them through us. He's calling for them to come to him to find life and life in all its fullness in him. Look at the promise of verse 16. Jesus has other sheep outside of the fold, and he must bring them in. Sheep from every tribe and tongue and nation, they will listen to his voice, and they will be part of the one flock. That is a guarantee. How huge is Jesus Christ in John chapter 10? Just the the picture that we have of him, just it's blown to seismic proportions. Jesus is massive. He calls the whole thing in advance. He's in charge of the whole thing. The sheep are his. He loves them. He comes for them. He's died for them. He saved them. And one day, the sheep will walk through him, the gate, into life eternal with him, into the greenest pastures and the greatest life we could ever imagine. Jesus wants to make us strong as Christians this morning, immovable, He wants us as Christians to live before him with absolute confidence and assurance in our salvation. 
that we are his and that he, the good shepherd, is ours. So what truth does Jesus place into our outstretched hands this morning for us to take away with us this week, for us to live by and hold to? What truth does he give us as, as parents to hold out to our children this week so that they may have absolute confidence and assurance in their life about where life is really found? What truth does he, does he give us to hold out to others in our lives so that they may come to know the good shepherd for themselves? Number one, Jesus will take care of me. Number two, Jesus died for me. And number three, Jesus will never let me go. Will you stand with me as I pray for us? Jesus, we thank you for this picture of your power and your authority and your sovereignty this morning. Lord, it's, it's easy to feel um, a bit lost in all at sea in this world. It's easy to feel burdened by this world, by the sin in this world, by the sin in our lives. It's easy to feel downcast. It's easy to feel weary and worn out. And you understand that. You know that. Because you know your sheep. You know each of us by name. And we thank you that this morning, Jesus, as a gracious good shepherd, you offer us truth, promises to take and hold, to lift our heads, to give us confidence, not in ourselves, but to give us confidence in you, assurance of what you are like and of what you have done for us, how you love us, how you care for us, and how you will never, ever let us go. You will lead us through this life and you will lead us into the next to be with you in glory forever. We thank you for that. Thank you for the simple truths like this, Lord, that we can teach to our children, that we can hold out to others who, who know maybe very little of you right now. But yeah, these are truths, Lord, that if we believe them, give us life eternal life. John started by reminding us of Jesus' words um, that, that he's the one that has the words of eternal life, that those words cannot be found anywhere else in anything else this life offers to us. But when we come to you and believe in you, we can be sure that you will be faithful forever, Lord. So I pray that we would trust in you today. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Jesus Christ pray these things in his name. Amen.